Well, this morning, I'm continuing in my sermon series through 1 Thessalonians, which was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, a leader in the early church, to a church that he had started in Thessalonica around the year 49 AD. He and his friends were driven out by a band of angry Jews who were upset that he was preaching about Jesus being the Messiah and Lord. Uh, and so he tried to get back as often as he could, but he was not able to. And so they finally sent Timothy to go and check in on the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. And the, Timothy brought back a report. And in response to that, Paul writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians. He reminds them of the gospel, reminds them of his love for them. And then he gets into some of the specific issues that were showing up in that church. Last week, we talked a little bit about his vision for the horizontal relationships in the church, the relationships between people in the church. Today, we're going to get a little more vertical, and next week as well, the vision that he lays out for how they are to relate to God. And so, as I've already mentioned, we're going to be only looking at three verses this morning, which we already got into, so you already got a head start during the worship time. And they are these, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18, rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Passage may be short, but if you can master this, your life would be forever transformed. Because I, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but truly your heart, your soul needs this more than just about anything. To really have a joy, a peace that transcends the ups and downs of life, the hardships of circumstance, to be able to rejoice always, to give thanks in all circumstances, to be connected in prayer continually to God so that no matter what you go through, you're not going to be blown here and there by whether your circumstances are good or bad. You, you need this in your life. And so I'm going to dive into what this means. Now, this is the updated translation in the New International Version. The old NIV, 1984 NIV that we typically use, started with be joyful always, which I didn't find to be a very helpful translation, right? Because that sounds like you're just supposed to be joyful always, and that doesn't seem to be helpful. Because how do you tell someone to be joyful always, right? You know, it's like, hey, you know, my, my, my father just passed away. Hey, be joyful. You know, my, my wife just left me. Be joyful always, right? It's, it doesn't make sense from that perspective, but rejoice always has a different meaning to it, that no matter what your circumstances are, you can choose to rejoice, you can choose to give thanks, you can choose to pray. And so I want to get into what that means, because there's, there's some verses that bring up this apparent contradiction in the New Testament. For example, in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And then he, he, he lays out a bunch of different things that seem to contrast. And one of them is this. He says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And you read that and you say, what does that mean? How can we be sorrowful yet at the same time always rejoicing? I believe this short text in First Thessalonians will help us to clear that up. And so I want to share two things from this passage that I think will really help you and your soul today, no matter what circumstances you're going through. And the first is this, to Rejoice in and give thanks for who God is, what he has done, and what he has promised. No matter your circumstances, rejoice in and give thanks for who God is, what he has done, and what he has promised. Remember how he put it in Philippians 4. He said it this way. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He does not say rejoice in your circumstances Rejoice in how things are going. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what your circumstances are, there is reason to rejoice in the Lord for who he is, what he has done, and what he has promised. And again, I think this is so important for each and every one of you to learn and to get a handle on because I think it's just inescapable when you look out at the world at just how, what's the word you want to use? Messed up? How crazy this world is, right? How you look back over the last 20 or so years and how rates of anxiety and depression have been skyrocketing, how deaths of despair have been going up. That's deaths due to suicide or drug abuse, liver disease from drinking too much. Those deaths of despair have been rapidly increasing. Life expectancy in the United States has actually gone down for the first time in centuries. 
Not coincidentally, I would say, worship of God and belief in God is also going in a different direction, right? And as God becomes less and less central to people's lives, you find anxiety, depression, deaths of despair going up in people's lives. I think there's a connection. One of the connections I see is that when you remove God from the picture, then you need to find your joy and your purpose and your peace in something in this world. Because if there's nothing outside this world, there is no transcendent God, then you have got to find something or someone in this world to give you joy and to give your life purpose and meaning and peace and all of those things that our hearts long for. If there's no God, it's got to be one of you or something else in this world, some person, some hobby, some job, something. And guess what? This world is a heartbreaking place. It's an anxiety-provoking place. And there's nothing in this world and no one in this world that will truly satisfy the longings of your heart. The thing that your heart is longing for is not going to be found in any person or anything. And even when you find someone or something that seems to give you that joy, that peace, it doesn't last. No job, no relationship, nothing lasts forever. In Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes puts it this way. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That phrase, chasing after the wind, is a great way of putting it because you can't catch the wind. And when you're chasing after happiness and joy in this world, it's like chasing after the wind. Even when you think you've caught it, you lose it, and it's gone again. So again, why does it seem like rates of anxiety and depression and deaths of despair are skyrocketing as we remove God from our lives? It's because if you're putting your hope and your joy in something in this world, it's going to let you down. It will never fulfill what your heart is longing for. Tim Keller, in his book, Making Sense of God, also refers to this, how science has supported this as well. He said, on January 7th, 2007, the New York Times Magazine ran an interesting article called Happiness 101. It described positive psychology, a branch of psychology that seeks to take a scientific, empirical approach to what makes people happy. Researchers in this field have found that if you focus on doing things and getting things that give you pleasure... It does not lead to happiness, but produces what one researcher has dubbed the hedonic treadmill. You become addicted to pleasure, and your need for the pleasure fix keeps growing. You have to do more and more. You're never really satisfied, never really happy. So, in other words, science saying here that If you make your goal the pursuit of happiness, it says you get on this treadmill where you need more and more and more and more and more to make you happy, that it never satisfies. And anyone who's ever been addicted to anything knows that that's true. That the first time you try a drug or some addiction, the first high tends to be the highest it'll ever be. But then there becomes this, you become, what's the word? Desensitized to it? You need more and more and more of it to reach that high again. As long as you are looking to something in this world to give you joy and peace and all the things your heart is longing for, you're going to be chasing after the wind. There is a better way. It's to rejoice not in your circumstances, but to find your joy in the Lord, in who he is, what he has done, what he has promised. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy I am not speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we have grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. 
I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. This is why I think your soul needs to know this so desperately that the more you are looking to the things and people of this world to give you the joy and the peace and the meaning and the pleasure that your heart longs for, the more you are going to be disappointed because it's never going to fulfill what it is you're longing for. As St. Augustine put it, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. The longings that you have are not going to be fulfilled this side of heaven, this outside of anything except for God. They're just meant to point you to the fact that that is what your heart is longing for. And that is why it is critical to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice in who he is and what he has done and what he's accomplished, what he's promised, to give thanks to him in all circumstances, to not tie your joy, your gratitude, your peace to anything in this world. Because that means even when the hard times come, it's not going to destroy you. Tim Keller again put it this way. He said, if your ultimate love and joy is found in the treasures of this world, then suffering will rob you of your joy and make you sadder and madder. But if your ultimate love and joy is found in God, then suffering will drive you deeper into the source of that joy. Just read that again and think about that while I take a sip of water. If you have located your ultimate love and joy and peace in anyone or anything in this world, then if you lose that person or that thing, it doesn't go the way that you'd hoped. It will just make you sadder and madder. But if your hope is in the Lord and your peace and joy is in him, then even the worst thing that can happen to you will only drive you further and further into God, the source of that joy. So again, I'm encouraging you. And hopefully you will not have forgotten this by the time you leave the service to rejoice in the Lord and who he is in what he has done, and what he has promised. Let me, there was a reason, there was a ton of Bible verses at the beginning there, because I'm going to go through, just to give you an idea of some of what the Bible has to say about who God is, what he's done, what he has promised. So I'm going to give you an example of what this looks like. Ready? Rejoice in his character. Father, I thank you that you love me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I thank you that you are all powerful. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Thank you, Lord, that you are all powerful. Thank you that you are full of grace and mercy. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Thank you, God, that you are good and faithful. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God, I thank you that you are just and righteous. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And Lord, I thank you that you never change. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Some examples there. That we can praise God for his character, that he loves us, that he's all-powerful, that he is full of grace and mercy, that he's good and faithful, that he is just and righteous, that he never changes. But we can also thank him for what he has done. Rejoice in what he has done. Thank you that you died for my sins. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Thank you, Lord, that you ransomed us from the devil, 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you, God, that you forgave us and reconciled us to God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Thank you that you have adopted me as your beloved child. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Thank you, God, that you have promised me an inheritance in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Thank you, God, that you have given me your Holy Spirit. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And thank you, God, that you conquered sin and death. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Are you getting the picture here that no matter what your circumstances are, you can rejoice in the Lord, that these things do not change. His character does not change. What he has done does not change. And what he has promised does not change. Let me go through some of his promises that he he has given to us. Thank you that you are always working all things for good. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Thank you that you've promised that you will come again to take me to be with you. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Thank you that you promised never to leave me or forsake me. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Thank you that you have promised that I can have instant access to you when I am in need. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you that you've promised to supply all of our needs. Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And lastly, thank you that you've promised to give me wisdom when I need it. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You know, one of the first things I ever bought as a new Christian, I remember, was finding this $1.99 Bible Promises book at Majesty Bibles and Books. And it was such a good thing to have, right? When, you, when I didn't know the Bible and didn't really know much, to be able to have the promises of God listed there for me. And a couple of years ago, we read through and, and listened to a podcast called The Bible Recap that helped us read through the Bible. And one of the things that she did, uh, Tara Lee Cobble, the woman who did that podcast, was she did a God shot, you know. She'd, she'd read, explain, and then she'd do a God shot. Where do we see God's character on display in this passage? And that was so helpful, again, to read and be reminded of, this is who God is. This is what he's promised. This is what he's done. Can I encourage you? You need to know God's word. You need to know the Bible. You need to read and pay attention to these things, who he is, what he's done, what he has promised, so that when you are going through the valley, when you are going through times that cause you to just break down and cry and have no idea where to find hope, that you can remember these things. Thank you, God, that you are always working all things together for good. Thank you, Lord, that you will never leave me or forsake me. Thank you, God, that to live is Christ and to die is gain, that even if I am to die, it will be gain for me, Lord. And so many more promises. This takes work. It doesn't come naturally. The more you know his word, the more it comes to your mind. But it does take work to remind yourself in the midst of troubles of who he is and what he's done and what he's promised. Again, the Psalms, which one of the ones we read this morning, the Psalms remind us of this, where we have to talk to ourselves. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Notice again how they're speaking to themselves and 
encouraging themselves to remember who God is. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a British pastor, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And in that, he expanded upon this idea. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down on my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. And so he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Sounds just like what I was talking about there. And then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Does that make sense? The, the, the voices and the, the, the thoughts that come and just drag you down. He says, stop, take yourself by the hand, remind yourself, preach to yourself, tell yourself again who God is, what he has done, what he has promised. Rejoice in and give thanks for who God is, what he has done, and what he has promised. And he also says this, to pray continually. Stay connected to God continually. Jesus uses the metaphor of branches to a vine. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. Stay connected to God, he's saying. Find a way to turn yourself often back to the Lord. When you are connected with him like branches to a vine, you are making yourself available to him, to be filled with the spirit, to be led by him, to be used by him. You're being strengthened by him instead of relying on your own strength. You're orienting yourself to his will, to his word, to his promises, instead of what it is that you want to do with your life. You're praying continually, not just praying for others, which is an important part of praying, but also just bringing Jesus into the moments of your day. Having him present with you. Some of you may remember there was a book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence back in the 17th century, I think it was. And it was that idea of how do you practice the presence of God? How do you have him present with you in the midst of everything that you're doing? And some of you just went through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, right? And that was talking about the hours and the, and the a rule of life and finding ways of using those practices to make sure you are returning regularly to the Lord throughout your day. Psychology these days one of the big buzzwords is mindfulness. Some of you may be familiar with that term, right? Mindfulness and, and of, of staying in the present, you know, and being aware of things in the presence. And this is kind of like a spiritual mindfulness, right? It's not just being aware of what we're thinking and what we're feeling and what's going on around us, but being aware of God moment by moment, bringing him into whatever it is that we're doing. If we're going to not be swayed by our circumstances and be thrown by the ups and downs of life, that we need to rejoice in the Lord, not tie our joy, tie our peace to our circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord and who he is, what he has done, and what he's promised. And in order to do that regularly, we need to pray continually, be connected to the Lord. 
It doesn't have to be something fancy, right? I remember back when I was 18 years old, when I first came to faith in Jesus, the biggest thing that I did was I started to talk to God as if he were there. That was the biggest thing. You know, I'd drive to work and back from work, and for those five minutes, I would just talk to God. Before that, I thought prayer was something you had to do in church, and it was some, like, fancy thing where you needed fancy words. But when I came to realize that it was just about talking to God and inviting him into my life and sharing my life with him, that was when he finally revealed himself to me, and I came to saving faith in him. That's prayer. It's talking to God. It is lifting up your heart to God. It's staying connected to him. It's reminding yourself of who he is and what he's done and what he's promised. I want you to be able to rejoice always. Jesus even promised this in John 10, 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And he said in John 16, 24, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. I want your joy to be complete. I want you to have life to the fullest. And it's not going to come if you tie your emotions to your circumstances because nothing in this world is ever going to satisfy you. Sure, it may give you joys for the moment, but it never lasts. Rejoice in the Lord, in who he is and what he has done and what he has promised. Pray continually. Find ways to stay connected to him throughout your day, to return to him, to invite him in to whatever it is you're doing, that your joy may be complete. Amen. Let's pray. And the worship team can come forward. Lord, I pray for all who have heard this message, Lord, that we would repent of putting our hope and our joy and our meaning and our purpose in anything in this world. Help us instead, Lord, to find our joy in you, to find our meaning in you, to find our purpose in you. So that no matter what happens in our lives, Lord, it would not touch our joy, that we could be sorrowful yet always rejoicing because we know who you are. We know what you've promised. We know what you've done. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond in worship.